Today, we begin with goodbye. Goodbye to shame. Goodbye to the way things used to be. Goodbye to regret and bitterness. Goodbye to apathy. Goodbye to business as usual. Goodbye to the lies that deceived us. Goodbye to whatever is holding us back. And hello to freedom in Jesus. Say hello to a second chance. Hello to a firm foundation. Say hello to mercy and new possibility. Hello to the gift of salvation. Say hello to a father who adores you. Hello to the son who redeemed us. Say hello to the Holy Spirit, our comforter, and the resurrection power within us. This is not hype or wishful thinking. This is not clever branding. This is where we find true, full forgiveness and peace beyond understanding. Welcome to a promise that never fails. Welcome to an everlasting hope. The creator of the universe is speaking. You belong here. Welcome home. Welcome to the life abundant. Welcome to your true worth. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to church. Good morning, church. I, uh, I, I saw that video a while ago, and I just thought that it spoke so well about where we need to be going in a new year. You know, the, the, the old year, we've had some things go on, right? <laughs> Lots of things in lives go on. And we're starting a new year. So say goodbye to that old stuff and say hello to Christ. Say hello to that Christ life in you. Say hello. A couple of announcements. Uh, it's going to be a little bit long. That's why I had the worship team to sit down so I don't have to stand during it. So uh, let me start out with this. Um, if you didn't know, I wanted you to know that Lyle Morgan's mom, Ruth, passed away here a couple days ago on Friday, January 5th. Um, there will be calling hours, and the funeral will be at the Sandusky Baptist Church on Saturday, January 13th. Visitation is going to be from uh, noon to 2, and the funeral will be starting at 2 o'clock. Again, that's at the Sandusky Baptist Church. I also, this week, had opportunity to stop out and see Annie Watson. She's doing well. She's recovering well. Uh, she's still going to be in the hospital probably for another week before heading over to uh, rehab, or at least, knock on wood, that's the hope, right, in talking to her the other day. While she's not up to receiving visitors, cards would always be greatly appreciated. And if you did want to send a card, um, but, uh, you, you know, you don't have the address and stuff, that, that's all right. Just drop it off at the office. We'll make sure it gets to where it needs to go. Uh, having said that, though, we are going to be doing some things uh, to, this year, focus on us to get to know each other a little bit better. So our, uh, our, our, our directory should be coming out very shortly. Kim and I were looking over it the other day. There's a few missing pieces yet, but that should be rectified. So hopefully, uh, by the end of the month, we should be having that directory out. I've also asked a couple folks, and if you'd like to, I'm not going to say you can't either, um, we send out that, uh, that weekly uh, little letter, you know, uh, email to say, hi, this is what's going on in the life of the church. I've asked some folks if they wouldn't mind writing a little something to put in there. You know, uh, why do you call this place your church home? Uh, what brought you here? What do you find fulfilling here? So that we can start to know each other a little bit better and to know each other deeper. 
We're also going to do a few things to, to do that was like over fellowship meals. Um, in fact, uh, we have a budget coming up, a budget vote that'll be on January the 21st. We're going to do a potluck meal right afterwards. You know, so we'll come in, we'll do service. Uh, the vote usually happens. You come in, um, you pick up a, a, a ballot. That's the word. <laughs> you pick up a ballot and, and you vote and you just drop it in the back. Well, after service, we're going to do a, a potluck meal. So bring something to share. And we're just going to do something like that so we can sit around the table together. You know, I find that when I sit across the table from someone, whether it's eating a meal or just sharing a donut, donuts don't count as meals. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it builds camaraderie. It builds companionship. So uh, that's going to be happening on the 21st. If you are interested in, uh, in the budget and things of that nature, well, they are available in the back. There's two different ones. It's not that they're different. It's just this one's smaller print, but on one page. <laughs> and this one's bigger print, and it takes three. So whatever you need, they're both the same, uh, but they're out there in the lobby. Uh, and we will be taking that vote again on the 21st. A couple things, uh, senior lunch is on the 15th of this, uh, of this month. Make sure you're coming out for that. It's at noon. Uh, lunch should say that, but in case it didn't. Uh, team basketball is starting this coming Saturday. It's going to be a fun time. If you're interested at all in coming out, there's still room for people to come in uh, referee games or do whatever. We have lots of spaces. I do want to take a moment, though, to say thank you. Uh, Coach West to Kim Galeotto and, and Becky Gray, they really put these teams and this stuff together. They let me think I'm in charge, but I know who's really running this stuff. They did a great job. We have 177 kids participating this year, uh, a very large and huge number. So thank you for all the work you did and everything that's going on with that. Uh, oh, one other thing with the budget. Um, we are, we are coming upon a season of where there's things that need repair <laughs> that are going on. Last year, like, uh, we did the, the, the roof over the gym, right? And that took expenses, and we had money set aside for it, and that's all good. But there are other things that are coming up that we need to address that are going to take sizable money. Um, the gym roof is about the same age as this roof. This roof's going to need repair soon. Um, the exterior things are starting to curl a little bit. When you walk out, look over at the well. You'll notice the roof on the well needs it. The pointing of some of the bricks on the well and just general upkeep of that. So what we'd like to do is, instead of incorporating that in the budget, we're going to start a capital campaign for that. This doesn't need to be done this year. This can take place over several years. So rather than just say, here it all is, we need to do this, we need to raise this money, and how are we going to do all that? Oh my gosh. We're going to, for the next several years, on every second Tuesday of the month, have this in, back in the lobby. I'm not asking you to change your giving because our budget is based off of your regular giving, but maybe you've got 10 extra dollars this month. Could you drop that in there? And we're just going to take the second Sunday of a month and put that in the back and use that. Anything that's received there goes towards our capital campaign. It's not a huge thing. It's not like, oh, we got to do this tomorrow, guys. But it's looking for the future. There has been things that we have kicked down the road for a while um, and needed addressing. Uh, that's why we had to do those um, repairs on those gym foundations. And, and the gym roof had been leaking for several, several years before we got to it. So we just want to get ahead of that and get our, 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 uh, our coffers ready to take care of that with a capital campaign. Not going to come to your house, not going to knock on doors, not going to send out flyers. We're just going to have this sitting in the back 
on the second Sunday of a month. And if you have some extra, don't reassign your giving. Just if you have extra, put that, and it'll be in our lobby space. I just wanted you to know what that was all about and hear where it's coming from. You know what? I think I just about covered everything. A little bit haphazardly, but still, it's all covered. <laughs> Psalm 138. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love, your faithfulness, for you have so exalted your sound decree that it surpasses your fame. Will you join with me in prayer? Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for, your, for all you richly blessed us with. We are so thankful for that. And Father, for those who are hurting this day, some have lost parents and, and other things going on in life. Father, I lift them up to you. For you comfort those, the hurting. You, you, you come to those who are in need. So Father, we lift them to you. We ask for your hand to be upon them so that they can hear from you this day. Speak to them, Father. And speak to all of us this day. For we gather to worship, to praise, to honor, to glorify your name, to tell you how much we love you because we know how much you've loved us. Father, be with us, be near us. Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this day and every day. Amen. Before we begin our worship, tomorrow is Elvis's birthday, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also his. So I'm grateful for Mark in more ways than one. And um, if for some reason I forget, uh, after our closing song, we're going to do something for you. So if I forget, you're going to have to remind me. Right? Once you get into that music, you really start playing, and you can forget. But you know, So if they don't remind me, one of you needs to remind me. So on that note, after that wonderful introduction, I'm grateful for him and I'm grateful for this opportunity to come and worship the Lord this morning. Let's stand together and lift our voices. We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung upon that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God's 
still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. There is joy. There is joy. There is joy in this house today. We shout out your praise. God's people said, amen. Uh, every so often, God does something really special for me. When I'm choosing worship, I always start with the scripture and the message and other stuff, and I, I start reading that, but I usually pick my music from there. We chose all the music, and Anna and I were talking. She said, no, I was listening to K-Love. K-Love? Is that right? She said, and they were talking about how a new year means uh, that we can embrace God's blessings, that we can put our troubles behind us, that we can lift the level of our faith up to the point and trust in Him more. And uh, this song leans into that. And then uh, yesterday I found out about this video. And when it all comes together like that, you know that God is really moving. And I encourage you to embrace the victory to embrace his blessings, to embrace uh, the positive things that are coming this new year.
nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the take this time to raise any concerns that we do have, to lift them up in faith that you are in the driver's seat, that there's nothing you cannot do with the snap of your fingers or the blink of an eye. 
So we lift all of those concerns to you. And this morning, we want to recognize that you are the one and only way that we receive those blessings through love and grace and nothing that we are able to earn. So we want to praise you for that this morning. As we continue to worship you, I pray that it would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. in the dark A song that lights up the stars One breath that gives life One sovereign in power Who speaks with thunder and fire One Lord One King
As always, the altar is open if you need prayer. Holy name, Jesus. 
Jesus over every heart and every mind cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus Would you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we come here this morning to start our new year with our love and praise for you. For some, 2023 may not have been such a good year because of family health issues, financial problems, or personal problems. But I think we've been blessed by you, Lord. Your love for us, Jesus taking the burden of our sins that we could not do, and eternal life with you. One of our greatest daily blessings is prayer. If we make a New Year's resolution, I think daily prayer would be one we all can do and should keep. We can ask for wisdom in our daily decisions, whether big or small. There's no greater peace than having communion through prayer with the Lord. This morning, we ask that you protect our armed forces and our first responders as they care for us. Give those who are ill and those who have lost loved ones healing, peace, and comfort. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Nehemiah 1, 2 through 4. Hananiah, one of my brothers, arrived from Judah with another group, and I asked them about Jerusalem and about the other Jews who had returned from exile in Babylonia. They told me that those who had survived and were back in the homeland were, were in great difficulty, and that the foreigners who lived nearby looked down on them. They also told me that the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down, and had the gates had not been restored since the time they were burned. When I heard all these things, I sat down and wept. For several days I mourned and did not eat. I prayed to God, Lord God of heaven, you are great, and we stand in fear of you. You faithfully keep your covenant with those who love you and do what you command. Maybe. <laughs> Bad news, it comes at all. See, so I do look up at you people from time to time. 
bad news. It comes in all shapes and sizes. And, and I'm not going to go through each and every one because that would just be a downer for everybody, right? So, but, but let me just say there's all types of bad news that we get in our life. Uh, my son, years ago, was, was learning how to drive. Let me be more precise. He had his learner's permit and had been driving for several months. So in that teen driver's mind, that means he's the equivalent of an IndyCar racer. With the depth and breadth of experience that should be transcribed for the ages. In other words, he was a normal teen. And on that day, my teen driver was out with his mother driving a car that he had purchased. Now, it was a new-to-him car, if you will, but he had purchased it with his own money. Anyways, I'm working, and the phone rings, and it's my wife. They had been out driving, and he had had an accident. Now, my wife, there's such fear and trepidation in her voice, I don't understand why, but there was, and, and, and I said, first of all, is everyone okay? Yes. Is anything besides the car that you were in damaged? No. Then let's get you a tow and let's figure it out from there. So we get a tow and then Tom, uh, no, it wasn't Tom, yeah, well, Tomans came and grabbed it. They towed it. They said, nothing we can do about it because when it landed, it was a small little car, busted in half. So you're done. <laughs> yes, you can tell the story to everybody else, Shelly. So. <laughs> Anyways, we, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. So the normal process of processing the accident now starts in your heads, right? Um, uh, because what is to blame? Because it can't be who, right? What is to blame? What, was it the roast conditions? Uh, they had gone over some railroad tracks. And was it the railroad tracks not properly set? Was it road condition? Was the passenger causing distraction? I would find that hard to believe in my wife's case. But was that causing distraction? Because after all, it couldn't be the driver's fault. You know, I know I've been that person in this story. That's been me on numerous occasions. N not with this particular accident, of course. But rather with numerous other things in life, right? We get bad news, and immediately we start the blame game. We start, what's at fault? Why is this happening to me? We start lashing out in anger at someone or at an event. The whys start creeping in. But maybe what we need to do is ask, what, Lord? What do you need me to do? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this book that we're going to be looking at, Nehemiah. A man who had some authority, but who because of the need, stepped up even further. He didn't step up in his own, though. He stepped up because of you, with you, and through you. So, Father, this day, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you. Open our minds to receive from you. What you would have us this day. Each of us hearing in your word uniquely, each of us responding in our own way. Father God, open our hearts to you. Amen. Anyways, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this book called Nehemiah. And to understand the book, I think you have to have a little, well, historical background, a little bit of, uh, of understanding about the author and the people and all that stuff involved. So we're going to start first with the book itself. 
Now, there is no recorded author. You know, when some of the books of the Bible you write, especially in the New Testament, right, you read the letter of Paul, and Paul says, hi, it's me, Paul, and I'm writing to you guys. There is nothing like that with, with Nehemiah. Many scholars believe that the book was really written by Ezra, the priest, it's a book before him, Ezra, he, he wrote it. And, and some think, no, 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 Nehemiah actually wrote Ezra and Nehemiah, and, the pro and Ezra was like the editor, because Ezra was a priest and a scribe. So, don't know for sure. What we do know is that originally the book Ezra and Nehemiah were separated, and then they got put together about 100 AD. It was Ezra and Nehemiah for a long time. They were one book. And then in about 1600, um, they got separated again, pulled apart. Uh, why? Not really clear. It might have been because of the context, right? Ezra is dealing more with the temple and sacrificial system and the law of Moses, while the book of Nehemiah is dealing more with the focus on infrastructure and policies around Jerusalem. Not sure why, but it happened. Briefly, let me set the stage of what's going on in the book. Babylon, kingdom of Babylon, had been in power for years, and, and they had invaded the Middle Eastern area, and they had surrounded the kingdom of Israel and Judah, and it was a divided kingdom at that time, and, and, and had taken it over, and had won victories, and they deported the people from those kingdoms, especially from Jerusalem. About 50 years after Babylon beat up these guys, Persia rose to power, and Persia beats up Babylon. And, and when Persia comes into power, the first year of that is King Cyrus. King Cyrus of the Persian Empire has this decree because he has now taken over this whole big, powerful kingdom of Babylon, and he's giving praise. And this is what Cyrus, it's in Chronicles, uh, chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles, verse, let's try that again. 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 23. There it is. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, in Judah. And of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord, their God, be with them. He, said, he realizes that there's some other power He's not a believer. He's not an Israelite. But he realizes something. And so he gives praise. He says, God wants me to have a temple built there? I'm going to do that. Hey, you folks who, who are of that, uh, who are Israelites, you can go back and build that temple. And I'm going to give you some resources. You can read all about that in the first chapter of the book of Ezra. So, the return of the people of Israel to Jerusalem happens in three waves. The first one is that first chapter of Ezra, when a group goes back by, led by a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Yeah, try saying that a lot of times fast. His group rebuilt the temple and altar and resumed the sacrifices. Now, the temple was much smaller. That's why in the passages, when you read about it, you'll, you'll hear the people wept. Some of the folks who had seen the original temple, Solomon's grand temple, when they saw this shrunken thing, wept because it was smaller. And they remembered the grand days. Then a second group, about 60 years after Zerubbabel finished his work, Ezra, the priest and scribe, returns with some more folks. The laws of Moses are addressed and, and set back into motion. And, and there's more things going on around the temple and the sacrificial system. They try to build some walls up but the nations surrounding them really have a hard time with it. And in fact, pull them down again. That's what was being read for us earlier. 
So Nehemiah gets wind of this. It's about 10 years after Ezra has gotten there. Nehemiah gets word of all this, and the building of the walls of Jerusalem and the starting of that refounding of the city begins. That's the background. Now let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Instead of looking at verse 1, we're going to look at the last six words of that chapter. Who's this Nehemiah guy? I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah held a place of respect and trust. Originally, the function of a cupbearer was, well, you'd pour the, the wine or whatever he was drinking. You'd pour it, and you'd taste it. Two reasons there. First, to make sure it, wasn't, it hadn't gone sour and gone bad. And the second, to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> Great job for a while, I guess. So, and then you would take the cup, and then you would bring it to them and serve it. So that was your job. But the cupbearer was more than just that. He was, he was also a trusted person. He was, he was a personal servant, but he had access constantly to the king. So he had some responsibility and some influence and some honor in the Persian Empire. There was not, he wasn't some local pastor out in the country someplace. This was a guy who was constantly in the presence of the king of Persia. At that time, the most powerful person in the world. And Nehemiah, quite literally, held this guy's life in his hands. Poisoning of a king was not unheard of. And yet, Nehemiah must have made an impression on this guy. Because in chapter 2, King Artaxerxes... Has, must have cared for him because he says, the, the text says, he saw that Nehemiah was sad. He paid attention. Here's this king, the most powerful guy in the world, paying attention to a servant, someone who's bringing a cup to him. He must have made an impression on him. More about that next week. For today, it's enough to know that Nehemiah held a position of trust, of influence, and maybe some power in the Persian court. Nehemiah is an Israelite. He's in the citadel of Susa, a big, powerful, great fortress that the Babylonians had, and when Persia took over, now it's the Persian. And also, the king would summer there. It's the month of Kislev. That's roughly our months of November, December, right in that ballpark. Sixty years or so earlier, many of the Israelites had gone back to Jerusalem, and then Ezra joins them, it's 10 years down the road, and Nehemiah runs into his brother, Hanai. He'd come back from Jerusalem, he was there. Some say he might have been a, a position of authority in Jerusalem. We don't really know. We can guess later on because he's left in, 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 in charge of things. You'll read, we'll see that later on in, in, in Nehemiah. Anyways, Nehemiah runs into his brothers and a bunch of the other folks who have come from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah asks a question. How are things back home? It's not an unusual question, right? I mean, um, you ever run into someone you knew from school years gone by? Or, or maybe you had a job and you've moved on and you've run into somebody that you knew about that job? Or, or you relocated from one area to another and you've run into somebody from the old neighborhood and you say, hey, haven't seen you for a while. How are you? What's going on back at... Right? So it's not an unusual question. 
especially since Ezra had taken a second group of folks back home. As they conquered people, Babylon, Persia, and, and other conquerors and nations throughout history, would grab a portion of the people they had conquered and send them to other territories that they were in possession of. If you left a city full of those people you had just conquered in one place, well, revolution can happen. People talk amongst themselves. So if you break them up, it's less likely that you'll have problems. So they would, as a normal course of business, grab some folks and send them to another part of their territories. It cut down on rebellion. It also gave them a chance to say, hey, your dad is really wealthy and influential in the town. <laughs> You're coming with me. And they would hold them as hostages to make sure nothing happened. And over time, those who were moved would take on the customs and language of those who conquered them. It would allow for assimilation of these people groups over several generations. But still, home was where your people were from. So Nehemiah asks, how's things at home? They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, we'll spend some more time in the coming weeks about these walls and things, but here it is in a nutshell. Walls not only provided protections for your city, but it also spoke of your city's importance and wealth. Walled cities took money to have happen. So, hey, this must be a wealthy city. They have walls. If they were done well, it spoke of beauty and in the importance of your city. Oh, look at how well those walls are. It, it, it could be seen from a great distance. The Life Application Bible has an article on this section of Scripture. And it says, Nehemiah was concerned about Jerusalem because it was the Jews' holy city. It represented Jewish national identity. And it was blessed by God's special presence in the temple. Jewish history centered around the city from the time of Abraham's gift to Melchizedek and the king of Salem to the days when Solomon built the glorious temple and throughout the history of the kings. Nehemiah loved his homeland, even though he had lived his entire life in Babylon. He hadn't gone back to Jerusalem. He wasn't born there. He was born in Babylon under Babylonian authority and was now serving in the Persian court. What is he to do with this bad news? This bad report that Jerusalem is what it is, that the city that represents his people is torn down, that the God that they worship is such disrespect. What is he to do with the bad news, the bad report? What Nehemiah does is supposed to be a blueprint, I think, for how we deal with the news of life, the good and the bad. I think where we need to start is, is what he didn't do. Nehemiah didn't pout. Nehemiah didn't cast blame. Nehemiah didn't shrug his shoulders and say, well, that ain't my problem, it's too big for me to handle. He didn't say, it's too big he didn't sit, throw up his hands in despair and just walk away. Oh, what am I going to do? It's, it's beyond my control. 
He doesn't distract himself with pleasures. Well, maybe I'll just go and drink my sorrows away. Maybe I'll go over here and do this instead. He didn't succumb to that victim mentality. Did he despair? Yeah. Was he anxious? Yes, he was. And I think it's pretty clear in the text. In Nehemiah 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. It's pretty clear that he was anxious about this, that something was going on, that it was hurting him. But instead of curling up in the fetal position, he took his anxiousness, his despair, and went not to his neighbor's house, you know, to get the pat on the head and somebody's telling him, don't worry, it's going to be all right, poopsie, it'll be good. He went to God with his anxiousness, with what was going on. It says in the text again, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah went to God in prayer and fasting and sat before God with his despair and anxiety. He didn't cover it up. He was hurting. He was miserable. And in that state, he went before God. The text says, for some days. Folks, bad news is not an immediate cessation of anxiety or grief or pain or loss. Bad news is not a one day and gone thing. It takes time. Some think that because, you know, I'm a Christian. I should never have anxiety. I should never have discomfort. I should never be the victim of unpleasantness. That's not true. Or if I am, then, then God doesn't care about me. And from that, it's easy to the next step. So I don't care about him. And then it's not too far a walk to, I guess there is no God. First thing, don't deny your feelings, your loss, your hurt, your I don't know what to do. Seek out God in prayer with these feelings. Nehemiah went to God in prayer first. I, I know I try to think things through, right? When the bad news or something happens, the first thing I do is I turn to self. What are my resources look like? What are my strengths? What does my will say? And then I go to God and say, here's what you need to do. <laughs> Just do it my way. It'll all work out. That ever been you? <laughs> we look to God as a final act instead of our first act. Well, there's nothing left to do. I guess we may as well pray. Nehemiah goes to God first, not with a plan, not with an idea, not with anything but his despair, his anxiety, his pain. It doesn't appear Nehemiah asks, why? Why is this happening, God? He's just seeking God to be in God's comforting presence. The second thing Nehemiah does is he waited for God. In verse 1, Nehemiah gets the news, and it's the month of Kislev, November, December. Nehemiah seeks God for some days. He doesn't say how long, but he's seeking God for some days. And then he speaks to the king. Now, I realize that's in chapter 2. But in chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, no, not the month of Japanese cars, but rather the month of March or April, He's waiting between 90 to 150 days in God's presence to work it out. 
In our present-day culture, with its immediate response and instant gratification, we don't like to wait for stuff. Let's be honest. And this can have a negative impact on our spiritual life. We want an answer on our time schedule. And if it doesn't happen, well, I guess we just do it ourselves. You know, King Saul, back in 1 Samuel, had a similar thing happen. He was waiting for... He was waiting for Samuel to come to make a sacrifice, but when Samuel didn't show up on Saul's schedule, he does it himself. Samuel then shows up and he says, what have you done? You've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all times. But now, now your kingdom will not endure. We need to learn to pray first and then wait on God. Wait on his answer. Wait on his timing. When we experience trials and hardship, we must patiently enter into the process of seeking God and waiting on him. Just because we don't see that immediate response, that immediate result from our prayer and other spiritual disciplines, does not mean God's not hearing us. Sometimes it takes time for things to work. I'd love God to just smack somebody in the head and say, just do it his way, okay? But sometimes maybe my mind has to change. Maybe circumstances need to alter, and it all takes other people's doing, right? God, you're not a robot. God doesn't push the button and say, there you go, just do that. He influences, he speaks, but we have free will. And so it takes time for those things to happen. But we need to persevere and walk by faith. Third, Nehemiah confesses. He confesses his sin as well as those of the people. Author Craig Conway writes in his book, The Weapon of Confession. Confession is a powerful spiritual practice in our lives. However, when we hear or think about the word confession, we might have a negative reaction. Confession is not a negative word, a horrible experience, or meant to remind us of our failures. Confession is beautiful. The Greek word is a compound term from to speak and the same. Therefore, confessing is agreeing with God that we sinned against him and perhaps others. Nehemiah acknowledges his and the people's involved sin against God. Now, he doesn't go about naming specificity. If you read, the, read that chapter, he doesn't say, oh, we did this, that, and the other thing. It's more of a general thing. <coughs> because in this case, maybe 100 years has gone by, and it's been a long time in the making. But he rather acknowledges that he and they have not followed God's ways. Nehemiah is acknowledging that man is not the one in charge, but that God is. And this confession is not a form of punishment, but rather restoring of relationship with God. As a police officer, a confession was always good when you're working a case. It was an acknowledgement of guilt by someone, of taking ownership of the event, <laughs> and usually helped with the prosecution. But of course, what usually followed was why they were justified in that action. But that is where our confession to God is different. 
You see, God already knows. All we are doing is agreeing with God and restoring our relationship with Him. Nehemiah is seeking to restore God's relationship with himself and with his people. Not just the city, but that entire nation to become once again the people of God. In a few minutes, we're going to partake in communion. And as part of this sacrament, there's a time of confession, of agreeing with God about our sin, and in doing so, being restored to right relationship with God. Don't underestimate not only the power of confession, but also the joy and the love that flows from it. Fourth, while Nehemiah took prayer and praises and worship, prayer is not just asking for stuff, like sitting on Santa's knee. Oh, it may be part of it, and we're told to, you know, come to God and ask for those things, you know, give us this day our daily bread, right? But it's more than that. It's not to be the totality of a prayer. Nehemiah takes the time to recall the character and the promises of God. When we find our hearts troubled and our circumstances appearing dark, we must remember how great and amazing God's faithfulness and loving kindness is toward us. In verse 5, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commands. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. The word for love is the Hebrew word hesed, which means loyal love, unfailing kindness, devotion, a love or affection that is steadfast based on prior relationship. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. It means it doesn't fluctuate. After remembering God's character, Nehemiah recalls God's promises. That's in 8 through 10. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in your revering your name. Whenever we go through afflictions, stressful events, and seasons of hurt, we need to stand in hope upon the foundation of God's truth, of who he is, of his character, of his promises. As we encounter trials, affliction, even evil, when bad news comes our way, we must respond by entering seasons of prayer, of confession, and recalling the character and promises of God. Only after we pray, seek, confess, and remember God's promises should we then proceed 
and proceed not with our own plan, but with God's. And that is what Nehemiah does. That's the blueprint for us. Today, as we partake in communion, I'm going to ask that we slow it down. That you take time to pray, to seek, to confess, and to worship God as we remember His sacrifice, His plan for our salvation, our future, and celebrate our relationship with and in His love. The table of the bread and cup is now ready. It's the table of company with Jesus and with all who love Him. It's the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified Himself. It's the table of communion with the earth in which Jesus became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed. Come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you prepared this table for us. It was done in remembrance of your sacrifice, of your love, of your faithful, unfailing, unfluctuating love for us. Father, we come before you with our hurts, with our pains. We come before you with loss. We come before you with family issues. We come before you with finances. We come before you with all those things that happen in our lives that we see around us. Father, we come before you in our anxiety. We come before you with our bad news. Father, we ask for your comfort. We ask for your enfolding love to be upon us. Do we seek direction? Of course. But mostly, Father, we just come to be in your comforting presence. Merciful God, we confess that we are in need of your mercy once again. We have taken your generosity for granted and have tried to take advantage of your love. Always expecting your mercies, we have failed to show mercy to others. We have turned our eyes from the poor. We have hardened our hearts against those who have hurt us. We've been selfish towards those closest to us. And so we humbly come to you. We ask not only for your merciful forgiveness, but also that you would teach us mercy so that we might be true reflections of you. Father, forgive our sins. Nehemiah said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to us. Father, we confess that we have failed in all these ways. We confess that we have not followed all the things you have laid out before us. And Father, in confessing, we know the joy of restored relationship with you that your love is not withheld and it's not earned, but freely given. And we take joy in that, Father. So, Father, forgive our sins as we silently take time to speak to you.
Father, it is with a grateful heart and an upraised spirit that we can now come forward more because we have confessed to you, confessed our failings, confessed that we need you, confessed that you are our everything. So, Father, hear our hearts as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. It'll be on the screens if you'd like. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus had sent some people on ahead to, to prepare an upper room, a place to share a Passover meal with. When he got there, he took off his outer garments and, and knelt and washed the feet of his disciples. He then got clothed and went to the table with them. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. As the meal was ending, he took the cup. This cup, my blood, the new covenant written in my blood for the forgiveness of sin, our sin. Do this in remembrance. Will those who are helping, whether on the platform or serving, please come forward at this time? Hey, Mike. Thank you, buddy. Got it? We ask that you'd come down through the center aisles and take their two cups. <laughs> the bottom cup is the bread and the top is the, is the juice. Please hold it until all have been served. If you would like a gluten-free option, then we do have that right here in a small cup. Just take that uh, in lieu of that bread there. The table of the Lord is ready. He did this for you. Come.
lovely the bread the body of Christ that was broken for you do this in remembrance the cup the blood of Christ that was shed for us to cover our sin so that we may be made right with God. Do this in remembrance. Father God, thank you for this body, this blood, this communion, this sacrament, this confession that we need you and that only you satisfies. Father God, we are so thankful for your love that never fails, that never falters. Thank you. Amen. Jim. Close our service with worship this morning. You would stand with me while we lift our voices together. Lift my Bible up there. Lift my Bible up for me. You choose the humble and raise them high. You choose the weak and make them strong you heal our brokenness inside and give us life same love that set the captives free the same love that opened eyes to see is calling us all by name you are calling us all by name that spread the heavens wide the same God that was crucified is calling us all by name you are calling us all by name you take the faithless one aside and speak the words you are Come to me now, the same love 
called us by name. Father, I pray for us, those who are hurting, that they will come to you to seek your comfort, your embrace, your compassion. For those who are wandering, they need not wander. They need not stay lost for your guiding light. Father God, I praise you for who you are, for what you have done. And I ask you for peace. Nehemiah 1.10 They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name.
I don't want to end this. But it's time. Go in peace. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you.